Okay, if you'd open your Bibles along with me, we are in Deuteronomy 13 today, and we're going to be covering verses 12 through 13, through through 18. I just wanted to see if you were awake, okay? Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 16, 14, no, Deuteronomy 13, bless you, Deuteronomy 13, verses 12 through 18. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are that your Holy Spirit is not only able to bring salvation into our hearts, but is able to guide and direct us and also bring many others into salvation as well. And I pray, Father, that your Spirit would be present among us this morning to save and to bring people into a closer walk with you. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to use me to minister your word to these, your precious people. And I thank you so much, Father, that your love is so evident in our lives. We see your presence, we see your working continuously and often. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us to learn to be thankful and to every day surrender our lives anew to you. And now, Father, come and minister to us through your word. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> so, Jeff, you're the only one that got the memo. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, this portion of Scripture, um, when we look at it, in, in a sense, it's to help us understand that there are false teachings that come into the church. As a matter of fact, many false teachings that come into the church are recycled again and again and again. I mean, you can go back to the foundings of the church. You can go in Scripture, and you can see false teachings that were brought in. And they seem to come back sometimes in a little bit different uh, dressing and, and so forth, but the same false teaching over and over again. And so one of the things that the Lord is trying to show us through this portion of Scripture is He gives Israel... I mean, very harsh um, commands as far as the fact that if there is, even among you, if there is someone or there is a false teaching that comes in, it's to be destroyed completely because false teaching is very dangerous. Because we have to understand that one of the greatest disasters to the church is religion. See, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Religion is man-made. It's man's attempt to have a relationship with God. And so, so often you have churches that fall more into religion than they do into relationship. And that's a great danger because it's not about things we do or things that we don't do. It's not about, you know, all kinds of window dressings and so forth. It's always about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, I, I love uh, what it tells us. In Psalm 84.10, in fact, that's why I asked the worship team if they could sing this song at the end. In Psalm 84, verse 10, it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the point is, that's being made here is that you could have churches, for instance, that have all kinds of window dressings, all kinds of excitement, all kinds of money, and all kinds of different things. But if they don't have the truth of God's word, they've got nothing. 
And I'd rather be one day where the truth is being expounded than a thousand, where it's just a lot of fluff and a lot of excitement. Now, for the nation Israel, we have to understand God was their king. He's our king too. But for the nation Israel, God was literally their king. And therefore, anything that went contrary to God's command was considered treason. And the penalty for treason was death. And it helps us understand uh, this portion a little bit better when we keep that in mind. Now, in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 5, and verses 12 to 13, it says, For what, I, what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? In other words, outside the church. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. In other words, what it's talking about, when we have teachings and, and, and false ideas that come into the church, it's up to us to point it out by the word of God. We only judge by the word of God. That's wrong. It needs to be put out. But what's going on you know, out there, that's not our concern. It is our concern in the sense that we should be praying about it and we recognize that it's wrong. But the fact is, God's going to, to be judging that and taking care of that. We have enough problem taking care of ourselves, don't we? Now, in uh, Deuteronomy 13, starting with verse 12, 12, <laughs> if you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. Now, take notice of that. You are to inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And what does that speak to us? You just don't make accusations about someone or accusations about a certain situation. You search it out. You, you look into it. And I think that's important for every one of us because sometimes that's how rumors and gossip begins because you hear something and just, oh, oh yeah, I believe it then. No, no, we search out, we ask, we seek diligently before we make any kind of a, of a judgment. And if, and, and if it is indeed true and uh, certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock, with the edge of the sword. And you shall <clears throat> gather all the plunder into the middle of the streets and completely burn uh, with fire the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever. It shall uh, not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. <clears throat> you see, the Lord keeps a loving and jealous watch over his church, over his children, over you and I. And uh, so when he sees us falling into something that is dangerous, he warns us about it. 
And if we continue doing that which is dangerous or which might lead other children astray, he disciplines us for it. Think about with your own children. You know, when you're with your children, especially if you're someplace where there might be certain dangers and so forth, you keep an eye on your, your children, don't you? You're watching them. Where are they? What are they doing? And if you feel like some danger is, is, is taking place, you intervene. And if you see your children doing something that might be wrong and even dangerous to themselves and others, you intervene. Well, that's the way our God is. He watches over us, his children. And when he sees us, you know, kind of flirting with danger, going into an area that we shouldn't, he's going to intervene. And that's why his discipline was so strong. If you have a city, and in that city you have people, leaders that are saying, let us go after other gods, then you're supposed to go in there when you find out it's true. But you check it out, make sure it's true. And you destroy it with the edge of the sword. You take all of its plunder, bring it to the center of the city, and you burn it completely. Now, I love it that it starts off by saying, in your cities, not other cities. This is what I was referring to, uh, referring to a little bit earlier. God has not called me to be an overseer of all the churches in Syracuse. He's called me to be a pastor of this church. He's called Pastor Frank Jr. to be a pastor of this church. And so that's where our focus needs to be. Because if I'm so concerned about what other churches are doing, then how can I be feeding the flock God has given me? How can I be doing what I should be doing in ministering to the believers in this fellowship? Now, in the same way, we should be not concerned about false teachings and, and, and things like that that are going on in other fellowships. We need to deal with it in our own fellowship because once we do that, we can put an end to false teaching in our fellowship and it has a tendency to spread out. Just like the disease can spread out, so can the cure. You have a small group of people that are willing to take a stand against you know, some aberrant teaching that is going on and say, this is wrong. It's contrary to the word of God that has a tendency to spread, and other people start catching on to it as well. And um, the verse that says, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell in, it reminds them that the real ownership of their dwelling is the Lord. Because we have to realize we are mere tenants on this earth. And so... We have to realize that God has called us to walk after him while we're here. But one day, barring the rapture, we're not going to be here. That's one of the reasons it's so important in a fellowship to stick to the word of God and to make sure the integrity of the truth remains solid in this fellowship. Because if the Lord tarries, I don't think he will. We're going to be getting into that a little bit later. But if the Lord tarries, I'm not going to be here someday. And a lot of you won't be here someday. There'll be a different senior pastor. Hopefully, Pastor Frank Jr. will still be going. And there might be a lot of other people in the church. But the integrity of the church will remain. And that's the reason it's so important to teach and preach the truth. And the truth is only found in the Word of God, not in the teachings of men. That's where you have so many, many problems. And... Um, you know, it's also interesting here that um, when the rebellious people, you know, that are mentioned here um, are found out, 
they're to be put to death with the edge of the sword. Now, it doesn't mean that we go around today and we say, oh, this guy's you know, involved in false teaching, let's kill him. That's not what it's talking about. But when we recognize that there's a false teaching, we must put the false teaching to death. And the greatest antibody to false teaching is the Word of God. You know, if we stand there and say, well, I just don't agree with that, that's one thing, and it means nothing, really, <laughs> because they do agree with it. But if we say that's contrary to the Word of God, and we can share the Word of God and prove that it is, now we've done something that is going to help put that wrong teaching to death. And that's the reason it is so important for believers to be in the Word of God, not just on Sunday mornings, not just with you know, two or three verses in a devotional every day. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to go through it over and over again. You, you cannot exhaust Scripture. There's never been a time that I've read through the Bible that I've you know, thought, well, I know all this. <laughs> There's nothing new for me. Every time I go through it, it's like reading a new book all over again. The Lord has so many fresh things to speak to us and to encourage us in. You know, <clears throat> I think what happens is that you have people who think, well, you know what, I have a better idea. I have a better way. I know God's Word says this, and, and, and I'm not really going against God's Word, but I think if we did this, or I think if we did that, I, I just have a little bit better idea. Well, guess what? We don't. We don't have any better ideas. And the thing we see here, and the reason God's judgment was so harsh on a city that was following after false gods, is because if it wasn't destroyed, it would spread. And so it was a matter of taking care of it. You know, it's just like if someone had, um, you know, some, some skin cancer, which I've had before. What do you do? You remove it. Why do you remove it? So it doesn't spread. You don't just say, well, you know what? I'm going to keep putting, you know, some kind of ointment on it. No, you have to cut it out. And the fact is, when you have any kind of a false teaching that has come into the church, and I'm not just talking about our individual fellowship. I mean, in the church, it needs to be cut out. And we do our part by cutting it out here, saying, this is wrong. It's not according to the Word of God. Now, um, the thing we have to understand that the only... The only vaccine, we hear a lot about vaccines today, don't we? The only vaccine that can really prevent us from contracting false teaching is the Word of God. The Bible is the only vaccine that will protect us from doing that. And if we study the Word of God, the minute some aberrant teaching comes in, it's going to be put to death instantly because we've been vaccinated with the Word of God and we know this is wrong and we're not going to accept it. Now, false teaching, of course, you guys all realize this is more contagious than disease. I mean, through the years that I've been in the ministry, it's so amazing. You hear about some crazy false teaching that takes place here, and the next thing you know, it's sweeping through the church. There's been so many in the years I've been in the ministry, it's, it's crazy. So many of these false teachings that go through. And some of you might, might even remember this. Remember Holy Laughter? Most of you I can see don't. Some of you do. Well, holy laughter was supposedly uh, the moving of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit really starts moving in a church, people just start laughing hilariously. And they called it holy laughter. 
And so a pastor would be up preaching, and pretty soon some person in the congregation would just start laughing. Now, if you start laughing at me, I'm going to be worried. But anyway, some person in the church would just start laughing. Then another person start laughing. And next thing you know, the whole church, they were rolling around on the ground, laughing, laughing. And they took that as a moving of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit we read about in Scripture that tells us that we're to do everything decently and in order. And there's been so many teachings like that, the health, wealth, prosperity doctrines, you know, so many that have come in and recirculated them, themselves to the church over and over again. But we have to be willing to put these false teachings to death. We need to have the, the vaccine of the Word of God that we can say, this is wrong, <clears throat> and I'm not going to follow it. And then when it talks about um, gathering all the plunder and burning it, for you and I, it's all these false teachings. You know, there have been books that have just, and I won't even mention it, but there have been books that have just run rampant through the church that if you compare it to the Word of God, it's wrong. You know, I've had people say to me, well, I, I know it might not line up exactly with the Word of God, but don't you think there's a lot of good that can be found in the book? Well, to be honest, there are some good points that can be found in the book, but there's also some dangerous teachings that can be found in the book, and they're the ones I'm concerned about. You know, how many of you would give your children, you know, food that has arsenic in it? And you say, well, most of the food is really good. There's just a drop of arsenic. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because the arsenic is going to do more damage than the good food is going to, to the well-being of the person. And so we have to understand false teachings have to be put to death by the antibiotic, antibiotic of the Word of God. And, um, you know, the thing, the thing that's interesting is, um, for instance, like with the bacteria. Bacteria can mutate and become much more dangerous than it was before. Did you know that? I remember when I was in, in college many, many, many years ago, and I was taking microbiology, and my lab partner and I, we actually made a strain of streptococcus bacteria that was completely resistant to penicillin. And what we did is we took an auger dish. You guys know what those are? A little, like, Petri dish. Took an, uh, and then we put the auger in it on a slant. You tilt it, and so it hardens like that. And then we took and we scraped... Uh, streptococcus bacteria, it's the coccus, they come in like clusters, like grape circles. And we scraped that all over it. And then after the streptococcus bacteria started growing, we filled up the rest of the dish with the, with, you know, the solution, the auger dish with the solution, so that the infected part was on a slant, and then you had it like this over the top. You know, this, we filled it in. And then we took a penicillin, you get these little round, they look like a cutout from a hole punch, and you put that on the auger dish. And where the penicillin was first put around the auger dish, all the streptococcus bacteria started dying because the penicillin was killing it. But what happened is you had the penicillin way up here where it was close to the streptococcus bacteria. As the streptococcus bacteria on a slant was further and further away from the penicillin, that not only continued to grow, but actually eventually grew to the surface and grew all around the penicillin. And we had a penicillin-resistant streptococcus. You might be thinking, what are, you, what are you talking about? The reality is you can have a teaching that comes into the church 
that's like a streptococcus bacteria. And if you only apply the word of God partially, you're going to have a problem. It's going to end up becoming, seeming to be resistant. But we have to apply the word of God completely and fully to every teaching we hear. And so we can't come to a place where we are thinking, well, there's a lot of good in this. Well, yeah, but there's some bad. You know, and one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, baby. Remember the song? Anyway, that's my poor attempt at humor. I should just leave that with Pastor Frank Jr., right? <clears throat> and, um, you know, some attempt to take, um, you know, the spoils of, of these false doctrines, in a sense, and just try to bring them in. They think they're doing it in a biblical way, but in the end, it is always very, very unhealthy to solid teaching. And um, you think of how many wars have been, and I don't mean literal wars, I mean verbal and, and you know, ecclesiastical wars, um, in the church itself because of different doctrines and false teachings. Let me just give you some examples. And I think it's, it's very dangerous to put a label on any church other than Christ one. That's what Christian means, belonging to Christ, Christ one. For instance, we have Calvinists, we have Arminian, we have Pentecostals, we have Charismatic, we have Baptists, we have Methodists, we have Presbyterians, we have Lutherans, we have Episcopals, we have Independent, and on and on and on it goes. But the problem is, when you put a label on churches, if you've ever taken any church history, just go online and look at it, when you put a label on a church, usually that particular label has a set of doctrines that go along with it. It has a whole set of doctrines that go along with it. <clears throat> Excuse me, and when I took church history, one of the things that was so amazing to me is there were so many good churches that started solid, but they had certain doctrines that if you wanted to be part of their church, you had to agree with. And those doctrines had a tendency to kind of pull people away from the Bible and be more involved in those doctrines. And eventually, the church went right around the cycle of becoming apostate. You know, I'm not trying to put any particular church down, but for instance, the Methodist church. You know, the Methodist church started by John Wesley was a solid Bible-believing church. In 1825, it was, it was the largest denomination in the United States of America. And where their fall was is they didn't take a stand against slavery. And that's when you had other groups who actually went away from the Methodist church, departed from the Methodist church, such as the Wesleyan Methodist, the Pilgrim Holiness, the Naz Church of the Nazarene, and so forth. They moved away from the Methodist church because they were unwilling to take a stand against slavery. And so these groups took a strong stand. And what happened is the Methodist church just started evolving, evolving, evolving until it became apostate. And you can read you know, some articles about professors in Methodist seminaries who deny the virgin birth. Well, why, why do they even call themselves Christian? It's profitable. You know, it's their, their thing. It's what they do. But we have to be willing to take a stand against all these teachings. Because it's very simple to know who Jesus Christ is. We call this the doctrine of Christ. <clears throat> he was with God in the beginning. Three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the one who spoke this entire universe into existence. And Jesus Christ is the one who 
created man through the Holy Spirit. And this man was created sinless. It's what we call primitive holiness. He was created sinless, but he had choice. And that choice led to him sinning. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We went into this last week. And when they were kicked out, God in his love still provided a means of their sin being covered by taking animal skins and covering them. It was the first time the shedding of blood was used for the covering of sin. And then man, in his arrogance, said, God, you just tell me what to do. Remember what the people told Moses? God, you just tell me what to do, and we'll do it. Well, they, they couldn't even follow the, you know, the commandments of God for one day. And pretty soon, they all fell into sin. But God, in his love, sent prophets after prophets. And then eventually, because man's sin became full, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus came from God to man by means of a virgin named Mary. And he came into this world to live a sinless, perfect life for two reasons. Number one, to teach us how we should live. And number two, by being sinless, he could be the sacrifice for the sin of all men. And so Jesus Christ then died on the cross as the propitiation, took our place for sin. And then Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruit, giving us the promise that one day we shall also rise from the dead and be with the Father. But Jesus also promised to send his Holy Spirit, by which you and I are born again of the Spirit. And when his Holy Spirit was sent into the world, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we receive his Holy Spirit, and we are born again. And now we're no longer led by the flesh, but we're led by the Spirit. And as we live and walk through this life, we're going to fall into sin, we're going to fall into temptation, we're going to make mistakes. But God has given us this wonderful cure, and it's called confession. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's the only way we make it through this life. If I had to stand here thinking, well, I'm going to go to heaven, either in the rapture or death, because of how good I've become, I'd be one scared puppy. Because I know me. I know me. And I need God's grace and mercy every day, just like anyone else does. But then Jesus also gave the promise that one day this world would become so corrupt that he would come back and he would take his church, his bride, out of the world before he brings judgment on the world. Scripture tells us he has not appointed us unto wrath but unto salvation. And so before God's wrath is poured out on this world, he will take his church out. And then this world is going to feel the wrath of God in a way that it has never felt. And you're going to have human government becoming more and more corrupt. But the most amazing thing that happens during that time of tribulation and the corruptness of world governments is that the greatest revival that the world has ever seen will take place. There'll be so many people that come to the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation that the Antichrist, when he comes into power, 
full power, halfway through the tribulation, he causes everyone, great and small, to take a mark on their hand or their forehead as a pledge of allegiance to him. And anyone who refuses to do that, which would be believers, they're put to death. And he actually has to come up with a system of killing believers. There are so many who are believers at that time. And so we can be very thankful that we live for Christ now rather than through the tribulation because the tribulation saints will have nothing but trials. But I wonder if their love and joy for the Lord will even be greater than ours. You know what I'm saying? Because they'll be so absolutely dependent on him. And so you and I are born captive to the flesh and sin, right? But in Jesus Christ, we're set free. Here's what it tells us in John 8.32, and then I'm going to read John 8.36. 8.32 of the Gospel of John. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then in the Gospel of John chapter 8 again, in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, truth does not hold us captive to some religious system. Truth causes us to have just wonderful fellowship with the Lord God Almighty. And that's the thing that we have to recognize. Because we have to realize it can be very discouraging at times to see how easily our flesh can be entangled, isn't it? But the reality is that we have a way out. And that is just cry out to Jesus. And when we cry out to him, he hears us, he forgives us, and he lifts, up, lifts us up out of the mire. And if the world conditions, <laughs> you know, continue as they are, and right now in this world, they're spitting in the face of God. You, you understand that. I mean, even with these four years that we've had, you still have abortion. You still have homosexuality. You have more people that live together outside of marriage than in, the, and than in the bond of marriage. You understand what I'm saying? This world is still a very sinful world. This nation is still a very sinful nation. And we have to realize as we study the word of God that it doesn't tell us that all of a sudden the world's going to become great. It tells us it's going to wax worse and worse. And that's the reason Jesus is going to have to come back. In 1 John 5.19 it says... In 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now that's amazing because God is in control of all things. Everything is going to happen exactly as his, he has determined. But in the world itself, he gives man choice. And that's why we see so much wickedness. And you might be thinking, why did God give man choice? Because he loves us so much. The only expression of true love is choice. If I force you by threat or even physically to say, I love you, it means nothing. But if our love just comes out naturally, that's real love. And so God has to allow choice to continue in this world so that those who desire to express their love to him, can love him freely. They choose not being forced. And the world is waxing worse and worse, which is exactly what prophecy tells us. You look around at this world and it's crazy, right? 
You look around and it's crazy. I mean, you know, you walk into a, into a store and, and everybody's covered in masks. And, and I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying, look how crazy the world's gotten. You know, I'm walking through the store. I have a beard, you know. And when guys have beards, they smile. And it pulls the mask down. And it comes under your nose sometimes. I had this woman stop me. And I thought she was going to punch me. Your nose isn't covered. Oh, okay. <laughs> the world's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And it just shows how quickly man can fall into rules and regulations, which is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. We see the, this happening in the world today. All we have to do is introduce fear, and we can get people to do anything. Whether the fear is real or imaginary, we can get people to do anything. You know, I read a book years ago. It wasn't a Christian book, and it was called, I mean, this is a long time ago, back when I was in college, and it was called Globalism, World's Demise. And the whole theme of the book was that you create a problem, whether real or imaginary, and then you provide the solution to the problem. And the whole concept in this book was, and I'm talking about a book that was written, you know, in the 60s. The whole concept of it was that you create a problem and then you say, I have the answer, and you can get people to come right into submission to you. So it's a good old book if you want to find it. Globalism, world, the world's demise. Now, we are living in a day that God is not only bringing his judgment on this world, but he's given us promises, and that is that we wouldn't be here when his final judgment, when he starts really pouring out his wrath in the world. And God does not destroy also the just with the unjust. We know this to be true. Like when we read about these cities that God said go in and destroy them by the, by the, you know, the sword completely, it doesn't mean that if there were people in that city that didn't follow along with these false teachings, that they loved God, they would, they would be put to death. This goes contrary to what we read in Scripture. For instance, with the example of Noah and the example of Lot. In fact, turn in your Bibles along with me to Luke 17, and I won't change the verse on you this time. Luke 17. Luke 17 and verses 26 through 30. This is an amazing portion of Scripture, and really pay attention to what we're reading here. There's so much that we can apply to the world today. Luke 17, starting with verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be at the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There are a few things that are, that are brought out here is number one, in both cases, in the time of Noah and the time of Lot, everybody was going along as if nothing was happening. They were married and given in marriage. Now, you notice in the time of Lot, Sodom 
you know, we talk about sodomites, and we know that there were homosexuals that tried to force Lot to bring the angels out to him. But notice in that portion in Luke about Lot, it doesn't mention marriage. Under the days of Noah, they're married and given in marriage, but at that time, marriage isn't even mentioned. But the reality is that as you look at that verse of Scripture in Luke, it tells us in the time of Noah and in the time of Lot, everything was going on as normal. People were saying, hey, everything's continuing. Nothing's changing. There's nothing to worry about. And then the minute Noah and his family were put on the ark, the flood came. The minute Lot and his family were taken out of Sodom, God rained down fire. So we have to understand God will always take his people out before his wrath comes. And that's why we know in the days in which we're living, the world is getting worse and worse and worse. The wrath of God is coming, but we will not be under his wrath. He didn't appoint us unto wrath, but unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just as the angels came and took um, Noah, or Lot and his family, they're going to come for us as well. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Probably one of my favorite verses of Scripture should be for all of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and go to verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> for the Lord himself, and I love that, He's not sending an angel. He's not having someone intervene on his behalf. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So this is an amazing promise. As the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, this portion in Thessalonians is telling us that when Jesus comes for his bride, now this isn't his coming to earth to reign. That's after the tribulation period. This is when he's coming for his bride, for his church. Very clear, it's brought out there. The dead in Christ rise first. So all those people throughout our ages throughout the, you know, that have died as believers, died in Christ, they're going to rise up out of the grave. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. We were talking about it a little bit in our prayer time this morning. Can you imagine having no more aches or pains, no more fears, no more worries, no more tribulations, no more weaknesses. Just, we won't even know how to sin. We'll be completely healthy. We take no medication there. <laughs> we won't even have blood. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, it's in Scripture. Remember, Jesus said, come handle me. He said, a spirit has not flesh and bone. And the common term, it was used, flesh and blood. But the life, the human life of an animal is, Scripture tells us, in what? It's blood. So we're not going to have blood. We're, there was a physical body. There will be a spirit, spiritual body. Read 1 Corinthians 15. The, spirit, the, uh, you know, the, the physical came first, then the spiritual. One day, 
this physical body is going to be gone, and we're going to be with the Lord, but we will be who we are. Because I mentioned this before to you probably on a number of occasions, we are body, soul, and spirit. The body is this vehicle in which we carry ourselves around in. And for some of us, you know, we have uh, an old rusty Chevy truck, and some of us have a sleek new Mercedes or whatever. But you understand the point I'm making. We, we have these bodies that just carry us around. But what is your soul then? Your soul is your self-identity. It's your personality. It's who you are as a person. It's you. We are we. We are who we are. And that self-identity is what allows us to worship the Lord and, and to do his command, desiring to bring others into the kingdom of God. But then our spirit is what is quickened or made alive, it tells us in Scripture, when we're born again. So when our spirit is quickened and made alive, we're in worship and fellowship with the Lord. We're one in him and with him. Do you understand when you're born again, you're one and in the Lord? Your spirit is alive. You belong to Jesus. And that's why he can claim us, because we belong to him. So when this human body is set aside and you go to be with the Lord, you're still going to have your soul and spirit. You're going to have your self-identity. You're not going to be standing in the clouds or in heaven saying, who am I? You're going to know who you are. Why would you be praising the Lord? Because you know who you are. You know what you've been brought out of and what you're going to. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We can really praise God for that. And then our spirit is going to become so prominent in our soulish nature, in our self-identity, that our greatest joy will be praising the Lord. You know, some people have said to me, I just can't imagine standing around praising the Lord forever. How could that be heaven? And I say to them, well, I can't think of anything that would be more like heaven than just praising the Lord. I mean, can you imagine standing before the throne, praising God our Savior, literally at that point in spirit and in truth and being able to look around at those we love those that have died in christ throughout the ages will be with us like when you see david and you see moses and and so forth it's not like they're going to be some oh wow look it's david can i have your autograph <laughs> it's not going to be any of that they're going to be one in christ just like us and what a promise we have and that's the reason God could be so harsh when he said, if you have these false teachings coming into the church, put it to death. Put it to the sword. Because a false teaching, if it's not taken care of, is going to pull you way aside. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this example before, but you could have two parallel lines. Remember what a parallel is from geometry, right? You have two parallel lines. My fingers are crooked. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, you have two parallel lines, and if one is just slightly off, you don't even notice it. But the further down the track it goes, the further away it gets from the other one. You guys know the point I'm making. And the point is, we're supposed to be one in Christ. And you get off a little, and you think it's no big deal, but as time goes on, you're further and further away. Everything needs to be compared with the word of God. Acts 17, 11. Now the Bereans, that's how we got our name, you know. Now the Bereans were of more 
noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with all eagerness, but daily examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. In other words, you want to know the truth? Examine the scriptures. They examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. How much more should you examine the scriptures to see if what I am saying is true? Be in the word of God. The fact of the matter is, the word of God is awesome. And I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare step away from doing expository preaching right to the word of God. Because if I started doing preaching without going right to the word of God, some of my own teaching would come in. And some of my own teaching would be crazy. But we stick to the word of God. I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible and the Bible has proven me wrong. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you had something that you really believed and you really thought this was true and then you read portions of Scripture and you think, well, gee, <laughs> that, that's really showing what I believe to be wrong. Maybe there's some way I can twist it and kind of put the two together. No, you've got to put it to death. You've got to put it to the edge of the sword. Either we follow the Word of God or we don't. And that's one of the things I love about our fellowship. You know, people don't know what we are. Praise God. Are you, what are you guys? Are you guys, are you guys Calvinist or Arminian? Are you guys Pentecostal or Charismatic? Are you guys fundamental? What, what are you guys? We're believers in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And we love his word. We are Christ ones. We belong to Christ. And so just as we have this tremendous warning in Deuteronomy about putting false teaching to death, about not allowing those who would bring these false teachings to continue manipulating within our fellowship or even within, when I, it doesn't even have to be in our fellowships. You know, I, I, this is just a personal thing. I don't want to continue on and on. But this is just a, a personal thing on my, on my bias, I guess. I don't think anything has brought more false teaching into the church than media ministries. Because media ministries become so popular. Well, I listen to so-and-so. Well, I watch so-and-so. Well, I listen to this one. I listen to that one. I listen to Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit through his word. That's who I listen to. And the fact is that when you become enamored with a person, you've got a problem because there's only one you should be enamored with, and that's Jesus Christ, period. Father, we thank you so much for your word because it is truth. And I pray that you would help us to take what you have shown us in this portion of Deuteronomy, apply it to our lives and to our hearts, that we might be your servants right up until the day you call us out of this world. And I pray, Father, that you would use us to bring salvation to many. And I ask this in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.